Today on the Avenue Podcast, we have the pleasure of welcoming Will Scriver, who's a managing director at Anchor Peabody. Thanks for coming, Will. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about Anchor Peabody, what you guys do, and the, the whole premise of the company. Yeah, sure. So Anchor Peabody is an investment bank, um, but not only just any investment bank, I would say we're a, um, a boutique investment bank focused solely on the building products, the construction space. And what differentiates us is within our firm, our senior bankers focus on a particular vertical and become true experts in that vertical. And how that differs from other investment banks or even business brokers is think of the traditional model as more generalist in nature. Mm -hmm. So you might have one individual at a middle market investment bank focus on all things building products. Right. And that individual is jumping around constantly between roofing, paving, uh, windows and doors, and it's it's impossible to become a true expert in any one right. of those verticals. And similarly, a business broker, they're uh, they're very gen generalist in nature, Absolutely. not as sophisticated, right? Um, so they might just post a, a a business that is for sale, not really understanding the market or the buyers, right. and just hope that the phone rings, kind of like a real estate agent, right? Right. And so um, that's how we differentiate ourselves is focusing on one vertical and mine happens to be home services and in particular HVAC plumbing electrical. So that's where I spend all my time and really ingrain myself in that space. And when you do that, you become a true industry insider. Mm -hmm. You know what all the consolidators are up to and where they're moving next, why they're moving there. And when you develop that wealth of knowledge, that's when you can leverage that for Absolutely. your clients, uh, particularly on the sell side, but even on the buy side. And I mean, it is a very com complex industry, so being a specialist within a specific vertical within an already pretty wide industry is uh, is definitely a rarity, so I can understand why there would be a need for that. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about how you actually got into that business? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, before I got into uh, mergers, and mergers and acquisitions, uh, M&A, uh, I started my career off uh, in the military. I uh, mm -hmm. did that for a few years. Done everything between uh, finance and strategy work, but um, eventually found my way into uh, M&A. Uh, started on the buy side and really fell in love with it. And um, eventually made my way into the building product space and uh, spent a, a number of years there at a, a, at a prior firm and just really enjoyed everything in and around the home. It's, it's very tangible. Um, you know, I've renovated homes myself, so mm -hmm. I've worked with contractors, and I can see what it means when you redo a kitchen or redo the right. floors or redo the roof. Um, you really see almost like the, the house comes to life after that. And so that's when I really fell in love with all things building products. Very cool. Yeah. And so from an M&A standpoint, home service is a, is a pretty interesting industry. It's not one that you typically hear uh, in the M&A world. So can you tell us a little bit about what sets that industry apart from maybe other more general industries where M&A is definitely more of a, is more of a commonality? Yeah, that's a good question. So what we've seen over the last uh, couple of years is uh, a lot of interest, um, institutional interest, and what I mean by that is uh, private equity, uh, family offices uh, wanting to get into all things home services. And over the last couple of years, you've really seen um, a lot of uh, institutional capital, uh, private equity come in and start to consolidate the space. And I think what they find particularly interesting is technology over the last few years, like a service Titan, for example, mm -hmm. has allowed... Um, uh, the business model to become scalable, right? Right. I mean, years ago, back when we had fax machines 
and a carbon copy, you know, <laughs> ticket, those days are gone now. Yeah. You know, they have uh, CRMs that can track customers and whenever they change homes. So technology has opened up um, so many opportunities. Yeah, right. It's, it's opened up so many opportunities and institutional capital has taken notice of that and they see this space as highly fragmented, uh, very mom and pop, an opportunity to consolidate and streamline a lot of back office functions mm -hmm. and uh, really uh, gain scale. So what are some of the trends that you've seen in the recent uh, years? Maybe we can even say in the last couple of years since COVID obviously has disrupted the industry significantly. Have you noticed any significant trends? Yeah, it, really, it's an acceleration of that consolidation trend. I would say it started pre-COVID. Early innings were, you know, 2016 to 19. And then once COVID took place, it really ramped up. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that's a, a function of a, a number of things. You know, I, I touched on the technology aspect, but also a lot more um, folks were working from home, mm -hmm. right? And they started looking around their home saying, if I'm working here, boy, that kitchen is now becoming an right. eyesore, or I really want to replace this. And so there's, with that, there was an increase in demand in all things home services, Absolutely. right? So private equity has taken notice and, hey, we're going to capitalize off the back of this. So coming out of COVID, you really saw a ramp up in a consolidation, particularly in HVAC, plumbing, and electrical. Mm -hmm. And um, now you're starting to see a, a, a bit of a slowdown or a normalization, I would say. Mm -hmm. you know, if, you, if I had a chart, you'd see a huge spike up in late 2020 into 22. And now things are starting to yeah. get back to pre-COVID levels. So that's an interesting trend that I'm noticing. But also beyond HVAC, plumbing, and electrical, now I'm starting to see interest gravitate towards uh, roofing, for mm -hmm. example, or landscaping. And well, I would say pest control, but pest control has been a hot space for mm -hmm. years. But there continues to be interest in other verticals within home services. So let's talk a little bit about the transactional process when you've got a home service business owner that's looking to potentially sell and get acquired in the next year or two. What are some of the things that they need to look out for? How can they prepare their company for an acquisition and, and run us through that process a little bit? Sure. So that's a, that's a quite a, a common question that I get mm -hmm. with when I'm speaking with uh, business owners and. I don't know where they pick it up from. Maybe they had a quick conversation with a broker type and their understanding is, so what do you do? You collect some financials, you put a posting out there and we see if there's interest and that's <laughs> sort of how it works. I said, it's a little more complicated than that. Not only complicated, but a little more structured is maybe how I should frame it. Um, the way I run a process, you really can break it down into three different phases. So the first phase is the pre-marketing preparation phase. Um, and that can be as long or as short as, as, as need be. Mm -hmm. um, no one knows you're going out to market, you're contemplating a sale, but that allows us to get our house in order. Um, there are a number of uh, diligence documents and questions that I know are gonna come up. So I use that time to uh, prepare for that and mm -hmm. get organized and also develop a, um, a marketing document. And with that marketing document, it can range from two dozen pages. All I've seen some that go up to 70 pages. Wow. But it, it tells the story of why this makes a compelling investment opportunity. Why mm -hmm. should you as a buyer invest in, you know, uh, John Smith's HVAC company? Right. Right. So what I do in that document, I list all the key attributes and the highlights, the growth opportunities, and then just walk through the different aspects of the organization. Um, I do that, work on a financial model, and... Um, 
you know, show what the projections will look like going forward. And because that's ultimately what the buyer's investing is, not what they've done historically, but what they're doing going forward. Absolutely. Um, so once we have all that together, then we move to phase two, which is the marketing phase. And that's where I use that marketing document. And that's when I email, call, reach out to a list of buyers. It's not just blasting it out to mm-hmm. anybody. I have a very targeted list because I know who the buyers are. Of course. So I Specialization. Always, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so I always explain it as, think of like a, a funnel. Mm-hmm. It's a targeted funnel. So when I go out and I reach out to my targeted list of buyers, over time I'm whittling it down and down-selecting that buyer universe to see who's really interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that goes on for a few weeks, and then I set um, an initial bid uh, deadline or an indication of interest, an IOI, to say, if you're interested in this opportunity, here's the deadline to submit your initial offer. And I sit down with the owner and explain to them, here's, here are all the IOIs. Uh, here's my feedback on each of them. And it's not always just about value. It's about certainty to close, Mm -hmm. uh, what it's going to be like to partner with them, what their plans are. Do they want you on board? How are they going to treat your employees? So I go through everything. It's not just about value. Then we move forward. I usually bring them in for one-on-one meetings with the owner, give them the buyers a little more information. And a a few weeks after that, I set a final bid deadline. Okay. I, I explain to the buyers, you've met with the owner, received a ton of information on all things business, finance, and accounting. You have enough to give us a view on your final offer. Um, and that's called a letter of intent or an LOI. And at that point, uh, we really down-select, uh, look at a small handful of LOIs, and we figure out who's who we're going to partner with going forward. Mm-hmm. And at that point, usually it's under exclusivity, and you're working through the last phase, which is confirmatory diligence. Mm-hmm. And that can vary wildly, as short as 45 days, or it can stretch two, three months. It really depends on how quickly uh, we can move, uh, how quickly the, the buyer and their advisors can move. And when I say confirmatory diligence, that's really think all things uh, legal, operations, insurance, mm-hmm. IT, everything non outside of uh, finance and accounting. Got it. And ultimately, we're getting to to a closing at that point. Got so it. that so that's how I kind of break it up into three different chunks and if you think well well how long does that take I would budget 6 months conservatively but it can flex out to call it 8 months or so. So let's say that this business owner John Smith HVAC company he's already been chatting with business brokers potentially PE funds approached him and has expressed interest how can you come in and help that business owner get really the best value for him and their family uh, when they are looking to exit? No, it's it's an excellent question. In fact, it's a conversation I had just recently a couple weeks ago. I met with a uh, a business owner and uh, you know it, just like most business owners, whether it's HVAC or other home services, um, they have buyers reaching out to them. If not uh, daily, it's a couple times a week, whether it's email, cold calls, you name it. And um, this one business owner in particular, he said, well, I, you know, I ignore most of them, but uh, this one sent, sent in an unsolicited offer. It seemed interesting. He didn't know any better. Uh, big dollars. So he said, okay, I'll entertain this, and went down the road working with them directly, one-on-one, without an advisor. Spent tens of thousands of dollars, uh, wasted three months of back and forth, ultimately to find out that what this buyer was doing, and and this is common. Mm -hmm. Not all of them do this, but this is quite common when 
it's outside of a competitive process, what they'll do, and they know there's no other competition. You're just talking to me one-on-one. They'll start off with a high dollar value, just kind of hook you in. (laughs) And then they'll find ways after they dig in and say, oh, well, I uncovered X Mm -hmm. or I uncovered Y. And slowly that high dollar value gets whittled down. Right. We call that retrading, right? Um, and that's ultimately what happened with this business owner. And so he just walked away sort of you know, out of disgust. And we started uh, talking through his options, and I explained to him what a structured process would look like and the benefits of doing that and the benefits of where I sit and me knowing what all these buyers are up to and what they really want. And what I do is not only am I just describing the company in that marketing document I was talking about before, but I position the company in a way that hits on all the points that these buyers are looking for, mm-hmm. right? So that it's, it's hard to really quantify that, but if you position it in a way so that it hits all those key points that the, the buyer wants and are looking for, that's when they really lean in with an aggressive offer. Mm-hmm. And if they know, oh, my other competitor is also a part of this process. I don't, I don't disclose that, but they catch hints that I know somebody else wants in the same market, and so that's when you almost get a bidding war. Of course, and that's when it gets really interesting for for the owner. That's who I'm working for, right? Absolutely, not the buyer. And so we call that, you know, they're the closing the gap in that multiple arbitrage. You know, mm-hmm. the buyer's trying to find a good deal, and. I'm trying to close that gap and maximize the outcome for the owner. Absolutely. So what are some of the other common challenges that might be faced by that business owner, aside from, again, being approached by a buyer that may want to have no competition in the transaction process? Sure. Well, I mean, there's a number of uh, landmines uh, throughout a, a process. And that's, and I'll, I'll go back to the three phases that I broke down before. Mm-hmm. It's best to uncover what those landmines might be in phase one. Absolutely. Before we reach out to buyers and go out to market. Um, and that can be a range of issues, uh, whether it's um, something going on with the financials. You've got a, a one-off event where uh, it was an unprofitable quarter over the summer for whatever reason. That we'll just need to explain and understand that. Uh, but you have to craft a narrative around that and explain, mm-hmm. well, here's what took place and here's why that will should never happen again. Right. Right. Um, it could be uh, key employees. Um, maybe somebody recently left and you need to backfill this position. A lot of times conversations that I get from owners are, well, maybe I should just run it lean, mm-hmm. a lean organization because I know I'm going to sell anyways. Right. I would argue that or encourage uh, owners to just continue running the business as if you were never going to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know you need to replace a GM. Go ahead and hire and backfill that role. Right. or a dispatcher or another tech or whatever it may be. And same goes with the fleet, uh, fleet of trucks. Uh, don't let an aging fleet um, you know, sit out there and continue to age because, well, hey, I'm going to sell it anyways. Why am I going to go buy another truck or two? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, if you, if you don't take care of that now, you're going to get dinged later on in right. the process. When we're deep into the process, buyers are going to un- uncover these issues. Mm-hmm. And that's when they're going to find reasons to ding you on value and, right. and bring the value down. And it's a hypothetical at best. You never know that a, the transaction is actually going to close. That's that's yes. fair. It's that a is risk true. That can happen, and it's if, if you start changing the course of action for how you run your business on a on a potential transaction, you might be making the wrong decisions. That's that's absolutely right. There's um, 
there's never 100% certainty that a deal will close. There are so many unknowns out there. There could be a geopolitical events. I mean, who knows? Something could go mm -hmm. on with the economy. Um, you never know. So at a minimum, you're absolutely right. You should be running the business as is, as if you were never going to sell anyways. I think of it as, hey, we're going to close, uh, but I don't want to give the buyer any leverage as to why they should you know, discount us for any reason mm -hmm. whatsoever, whether right. it's key employees, aging infrastructure fleet. Right. So I want to remove any leverage that they might have, and that's, that's just one of them. Right. So let's say you're John Smith's HVAC company, since that's the example we're using, <laughs> and you're looking to sell. What are some of the first steps that you should take as a home service business owner if you are looking to get acquired? Yep. So I would uh, suggest that we have a conversation as as an M&A advisor, as an investment banker, I can explain to you whether you're uh, considering a sale in six months or in six years. And these are the type of conversations I have all the time, even if it's years down the road. Mm -hmm. um, just to give you an understanding of what's, what is the process like? Um, what are valuation expectations? Who are the likely buyers? Um, what is the plan for me after we close? I can walk through all of those uh, different scenarios and any questions up front, again, whether it's months out or this is uh, years away. Um, I would encourage uh, getting a good CPA firm, review the books, um, find if, if there are ways to, um, you know, get margins up to where they need to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're running in the 10% EBITDA margin, uh, that may not be best in class, but if you get in the high teens to 20% EBITDA margin, you're probably hitting your stride and, you know, you're tip-top shape there. Um, going back to filling key roles, you know, mm -hmm. if there's... Um, an employee that, uh, or if it's a GM, for example, that needs to season or spend some time in their seat for six months, I would go ahead and start that process now. Okay. Last thing you want to do is uh, go out there in market, meeting with buyers, and hey, I just hired Steve, the GM. He's been here three weeks. He doesn't even know where the bathroom's located, <laughs> right? So um, key employees need time to uh, season in their role. Thank so. you. So let's talk a little bit about the future outlook and what that looks like in the home service M&A world. What's your personal feel on the outlook of the next one to 10 years in the industry? Yeah, boy, if I had a crystal ball. <laughs> um, right. I, I honestly see a further uh, consolidation. Even with the consolidation that has gone on in this space, it's still so highly fragmented. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Just picking on HVAC and plumbing and electrical, for example, uh, one of the largest consolidators in the space, the 800-pound gorilla in the space, uh, barely accounts for a 1% market share. Wow. Right? That's incredible. And and that's that was born through a series of over 150 different acquisitions over wow. the last couple of years. So it just gives you a sense for how fragmented the space is remains today. Um, and that's the same with uh, whether you're talking roofing or pest control or certainly landscaping, right? So... I'll see, what I see is that the, the larger consolidators, the, the big, are going to get bigger, mm -hmm. and they're going to continue to uh, roll up the space, as we refer to it. And eventually, I could see um, a number of these larger platforms uh, IPOing or going public, mm -hmm. and then they'll trade just like Apple does or Microsoft. So are you seeing any kind of emerging markets, or have you seen in the last few years any sort of emerging markets within the home service space? 
I'll say some of the themes that I'm seeing are um, typically you'll have a an a independent family-owned business that's was a single trade uh, HVAC, for example. Now what I'm seeing, even if it's still privately held or it's part of one of these larger uh, consolidators, is adding multiple trades under mm-hmm. one roof. Um, you're seeing some real synergies uh, between that, uh, whether it's HVAC, pairing that up with plumbing, right. and electrical as a good example. Um, I was just chatting with a, a gentleman the other day, and he's a family-run organization, and he recently acquired some plumbing assets to pair up with his legacy HVAC business. And I was curious, I said, why did you go down that road? And he said, I'm naturally being asked by the consumer, the homeowner, hey, you did a great job on my AC unit. Do you happen to also do plumbing since you're already out here? So that's what I mean by those natural synergies. Um, And so that's where I see um, an emerging theme is um, adding multiple trades under under one roof. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage business owners to explore that. Right. Even if it's one or two uh, techs out in the field, uh, just having that capability and that offering, mm-hmm. um, you're really serving as almost, not quite, but almost as a one-stop shop for right. all things, you know, plumbing needs or electrical or um, servicing uh, your AC unit. Well, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to be about the experience and the service that the consumer receives. They're satisfied with the experience and the service they received on the HVAC front. There's no reason that they're not going to be asking, you know, do you do plumbing? Do you do electrician um, services? Um, So I think it only makes sense that if they have a good experience, they're going to want to have that similar experience across all of their different home service needs. Right. And and likely you're already out there. Uh, Certainly if you have a maintenance agreement in place, you're out there a couple times a year Mm -hmm. running through the neighborhood anyways. Um, So the fact that you can also offer um, a different capability like plumbing or electrical, for example, um, you'll eliminate, um, you know, a a lot of uh, inconsistencies or disenergies by having, you know, multiple trucks. And think about it from the, um, the homeowner's perspective. They like the idea of um, talking to one contractor, for example, right. for several needs, right? I don't want to talk to John, Steve, Bill, and for all my various right. needs. I'd rather we refer to it as having one throat to choke if something <laughs> goes wrong. I only have to talk to one guy yeah. for my plumbing or an AC issue or whatever it may be. Yeah. So for our listeners that are interested in staying up to date on what's currently happening in the home service M&A space, is there any resources that they can stay up to date with or, um, you know, just newsletters, websites that they can uh, they can subscribe to? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, um, I'm always on LinkedIn. I, uh, I, I use social media to post uh, my latest thoughts. I'm always out there on the road picking up tidbits of information. So I'll release... Uh, Pretty frequently, every other week or so, different information on LinkedIn. I'll do posts there. Um, also, I have a, a database of folks that I will email a newsletter to mm-hmm. uh, with my recapping my thoughts on uh, the year and kind of what I'm seeing on the horizon. So I would encourage you to reach out to me, and I'm happy to plug you in and um, not only send you the um, the newsletters, which I send out every few months or so, or just updates on the market, but even a one-off. Um, if you have a question and just want to chat through anything, I always, um, you know, get my cell phone out, text me any questions you might have, email me. I would say that's the best way to reach me. Awesome. Yeah. Will, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you.